Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Sabbath Services here in Burlington. It has been a long winter, hasn't it? I'm talking to everyone beforehand, I think we've all had our fill of snow in winter. It makes, kind of makes the week go go uh, by slow. Anyway, we are together. It's uh, Thank you for taking the time to come to services and uh, encourage and edify one another. It's, uh, uh, I was feeling as tired as, as some of you were in our discussion, so uh, it's good to be together and help uh, lift our spirits on the Sabbath so that we can go home and get through another week. So today is, as Deacon Jan said, is 72 days to pass. We happen to be on the first day of the 12th month, so we have two more full months to go before the, the new year, and then two weeks after that, and then we're at Passover and the spring holy days. It certainly has been a long winter, as I said at the start. Uh, spring doesn't seem to be able to come soon enough. Uh, this was a typical winter in, in Quebec when we were there for five years. This was pretty normal. It's not uh, so normal down here. But there's something invigorating about spring when we talk about uh, spring, something refreshing. Even today looking outside at another winter and some folks who couldn't make it, the ladies from London who couldn't make it, the Hessels who happened to be back in Canada for two weeks and both Sabbaths they get snowed, snowed uh, in down in Fort Erie. Um, there's something, there's something refreshing when we close our minds and think of the word spring, about sun and warmth and green and a new, new life uh, taking root and uh, gardens and trees and plants. Sort of drives us outside to get ready for another year of summer, spring and summer and all that, all that that has to offer us. The same can be said about God's holy day plan. We know that in the spring... A brand new set of holy days, these these seven holy days that we celebrate, that talk about from the time that we were called until the fulfillment of God's kingdom, starts again every spring. We covered this last year, but as we sort of begin to push towards the the spring holy days, I'd like to review a couple of things for the first few minutes here. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 before we get into the bulk of the message. Genesis chapter 1. Back to the creation account, when the earth was recreated, or created. Verse 14, after the first, second, and third day, we come to the fourth day, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the light, from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And if you recall, if you recall, if you were here last year, we talked a little bit about this word seasons, which is the Hebrew word moed. And this word doesn't have anything to do with the seasons that we see out here, the summer, winter, spring, and fall. 
The word moed or moled has to do with appointed time. Appointed time. And obviously with God doing the creating here and God doing the setting apart of the lights for seasonal purposes, God is doing the appointing. So thus, these are God's, when we talk about these seasons, these are God's appointed times. God sets these times, these seasons apart for us. When we go ahead to Leviticus chapter 23, which we know is the, the account that really breaks down the holy days, Leviticus 23, verse 1 and 2, We are told the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. So these aren't Jewish feasts, these aren't Christian feasts, these aren't whatever other adjective you want to put to it, these are God's feasts. And the reason why they're God's feasts is that word feasts, as you may recall, is that same word, moed, which drives all the way back to creation when he set apart these lights for signs and seasons. And he set apart this holy time. We happen to call the time, it happens to be Passover, that it's, it's labeled now. But if you go back to if Exodus 5, as an example, and again, this is just a little bit of review from last year before we jump into the message that we have for today. And we talk about these seasons. Last night, not sure if, uh, what the sky was looking like, but it, there was a new moon last night. Uh, with the start of the month today, there was if there, there would have been a, a, a sliver in the sky. And again, this is significant not to get us all caught up in moons and cycles and do we do we celebrate new moons? That's that's not the purpose of all of this. But it is a constant reminder of where we are in, in relation to God's plan. We know Passover can't creep up on us. Pentecost can't creep up on us. We keep an eye on on the seasons and the moons. We know that we've got two more months and then a a new year starts on God's calendar and then we've got two weeks to to work towards Passover. And the same can be said throughout God's holy day season. We won't lose sight of it as ancient Israel did when they were brought into captivity and and Ezra and and, uh, Nehemiah and those those folks at that time had to re-teach them everything about God's holy day plan. We will not lose sight of it when we keep an eye on God's calendar. But here in Exodus chapter 5, well before the plagues and well before uh, the death of the firstborn and all that we, we know that led into the first Passover, verse 1 of chapter 5 says, Afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. So long before there was a Passover, as we know it to be, long before there was the death of the firstborn, there were appointed times that required worship. And we, and we see here, this was, a, this was a hag, this word a feast, hag, we know to be another word for feast, and through Moses and Aaron, the people had, there was an appointed time. There was this set time that they had to go out, that they wanted to, out in the wilderness to hold a feast to God. Now, whether Pharaoh let them or not, that was a different story, but the holy time was holy time. 
And they knew that there was this holy time to which they had to go worship God. And worship God the way God wants it to be done. Notice, notice their fear at the end of verse 3 where it said, Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Even then they knew that God's way of worship demanded that, we do, that they do things his way. So there was this feast that they needed to keep at that time of year that required a certain form of worship. And this healthy fear, this healthy fear of punishment that we see there in verse 3. God sets the rules and expects his people to follow when we go to Exodus 13, if you go with me to Exodus 13, this is where those times, these seasons start to take on a specific meaning. And we come to this Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've talked a little bit already as we go through Hebrews and leading up into messages that leading up into Passover. Following on the heels of Passover, we know is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we see here, through, through Moses, God explaining this festival of unleavened bread. And we pick it up in verse 3 of Exodus 13. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib. It shall And it shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all of your quarters. You shall, and you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall keep therefore this ordinance in its season from year to year. So we see the command to eat unleavened bread and to purge the complete purging of leaven from your diet and from your living quarters. And to do so, you do this to remind yourself of where you came from and to focus on where we're going to the, the people of ancient Israel at that time. And of course, we know through st- the study of Scripture that leaven pictures sin. So let's go forward now to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where we heard in the Scripture reading today. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul gives some specific instructions on how a New Testament congregation of the church should be keeping the feast. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 6. So we've got this lead up when God created these seasons, these appointed times, and how they were appointed times long before Israel kept the first Passover. And then the focus on the eating of unleavened bread and the purging of the, of the leavened bread, of the leavening. We now pick it up in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 6 says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread 
of sincerity and truth. So again, Paul here is giving some specific instructions on how to keep this feast as a New Testament congregation. And in studying this scripture recently, I was struck by something that I had failed to notice before. And I'm always intrigued when you read scripture over and over again, and all of a sudden something jumps out at you that was always there and you just didn't see. There are two types of leaven that need to be purged. Let's go back and read that again. Therefore, verse 8, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. He specifies here there is two types of leaven that we should not keep the feast with, that we need to purge. Back in verse 7, he says, purge out the old leaven. Therefore, let us not keep the feast with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. We know from our studies last year of the, the book of Corinthians and the Corinthian church that it was a congregation that was lacking in maturity. Paul, you recall, Paul tells them earlier on that he wants to, wishes that he could feed them with meat, but they're still on a diet of milk. And he's answering letters from them because there's complaints and stuff going on and sin that's going on in the church that's not being dealt with and people that are, are accommodating the sin, encouraging the sin, not just not turning turning a blind eye to eye to the sin. They were some were slack, some were allowing things to happen. Others were just immersed in the evil that was a part of the city of Corinth. So, with a little over ten weeks before the spring holy days arrive, and before that time will slip away quickly, as we look forward to spring and can't wait for this week to get by and try to get to the snow melted somehow and get on with with hopefully. Uh, a regular type of life that, that snow sort of, of uh, uh, slows down for us, it's prudent for us to turn our attention to preparing ourselves for this holy time. And in light of this, today, I'd like to take a look at these two types of leaven that require purging. Because it's not an accident that Paul specifies these two types of leaven. And we must be sure to purge both. This old leaven and the leaven of malice and wickedness. So let's just take a look at old leaven as we start. When we look at sin, which we know is pictured by leaven, we note that this first type is old. It's this old sin, this old leaven. And the, this word old just simply is, is as simple as it sounds. refers to ancient or worn out or worn by use. And it is this type of leaven that has been around a long time. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Purging out the old leaven. Let's look at Paul's account as we think of purging out old leaven. Paul's account here of a spiritual warrior and his inner struggle with bad habits. So as we consider purging old leaven, let's look at this accounting. Let's pick it up at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, what I want to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. 
For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I don't do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. For if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that is that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my, in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's break this down a little bit into some significant points of discussion. Paul wants to do right, and yet still struggles. Can we relate to that? When as we prepare ourselves for Passover, let's think back to last year, as we were preparing ourselves not only for Passover, but for unleavened bread, and making a list of things that you wanted to be better at, things that were holding you back, things that were, were not allowing you to be fully immersed in the mind of Christ. We can relate to Paul, this seasoned spiritual warrior here, who, with, even with the mind of Christ that he was in the middle of putting on, struggled with his, his physicality, saying here that what I want to do, sometimes I don't do. Sometimes, with, with my best intentions, fully knowing what is right, I slip and I don't do what I should do, or I do what I know I shouldn't do. He wants to do right and yet still struggles. And that's something I'm sure we can all relate to. Paul's mind, as we look at that account, is in the right place. He's in the process of putting on the mind. Let's look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. He knows what to do. He knows the goal that he he should have. He knows what proper character is, as our young people were learning about today. I delight in the law of God. He's got no issues with doing right. He, he, he has read God's law. He, he has con- he's been convinced of God's law. He's been convicted of this way of life. And he knows what he should do. And he's in the process of putting on this, this new man, this mind of Christ. He even, when we look at verses 23 and 24, takes personal responsibility for his actions. I see another lie in my members. This isn't, he's not blaming it on the devil. He's not blaming it on anything else other than his inner physicality. There's, an, there's an, an, another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. I'm putting on this mind of Christ, and yet there's this physicality of me that I battle, that I do things that I, should, that I, I know I shouldn't be doing, that my, despite my best of intentions, I still, I still can't get by this from time to time, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. He doesn't go on on a talk show and blame his parents and blame his teachers and blame everybody else possible in his life that you know, I, my, I grew up uh, my parents were both unemployed I grew up up this way we, we had, I had only a single parent I had this, I had this he says, well, wretched man that I am I know what to do and yet these habits that I have I'm put, still putting on the mind of Christ I believe in God's law and yet from time to time I just still can't get past some of these habits that I have he doesn't blame Satan. He doesn't blame any outside forces. He says, my physicality is at war with the mind of Christ that I'm trying to build. I'm still human. O wretched man that I am. 
Here was an apostle to the Gentiles, one of the the great apostles, the the someone who his writings represent more writing than than any any other any other writer of scripture. No one, and he has no one to blame but himself for these slip-ups. Yet, he knows who can deliver him. He knows his success is in Christ. I thank God, even asking that question, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to get me out of this humanity that drags me down? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ can deliver us from this struggle, this through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as he continues to build character and continue to build the mind of Christ. Do we have habits that continue to haunt us? I don't need, we don't need a show of hands. This is just an, an inner question. Last year before Passover, if you're like me, you make a list of things we need to get better at. Things that I need to extricate from my behavior. And guess what? Despite my best intentions, I'm still doing some of that. I think I'm a little better this year. I hope I'm a little better this year. I've tried to be better this year. Hopefully I'm stumbling less often this year than I did in previous years. But I'm still stumbling. I still, at the end of some days, have to lay in bed and look at myself and go, I didn't live up to what I said I was going to do. Does it mean I'm quenching the Spirit? Does it mean I'm turning my back on God? I don't think so. Because I want to be better. My desire, my fervent desire is like Paul here. I know what to do. 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 And yet, I still find myself once in a while succumbing to these bad habits. This old leaven of mine is something God and I continue to discuss in prayer. This old leaven. These things that I know I shouldn't do. And I don't do them that often. But once is too much for God. Once is too much. Last year, Deacon Jan spoke on understanding sin. And in that sermon, which I encourage as we I encourage everyone as you as we move forward towards the, these holy days, go back and take a look at and take a listen to that, that sermon on understanding sin. He covered the three different levels of sin. Sin transgression and iniquity God understands when our hearts are right and we are simply struggling struggling with our humanity we have a savior a mediator who goes before God and says and tells him I get it I was there I understand what they're going through I understand the pulls and the one the one uh, word for sin that Jan talked to us last year about was the Hebrew word chata and this is habitual sin from human frailty. Let's go back just a few pages to Romans chapter 3 and look at that just briefly. And again, if you get some time on our website, you go down in the bottom where it's now all nicely organized and you just punch in Jan's name on the right hand, the the third uh, option to the right. And if you go down to about June, I think, that, that he gave it, it's called Understanding Sin. As we prepare for, for these, these holy days, it, it certainly is a valuable, valuable tool to listen to. Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. 
all Christians drop the ball. Because we still have this struggle with humanity, this struggle with, with this physical body that has physical desires. We sometimes have anger. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that is just inherent in being a human, that is all part of our transition to putting on the mind of Christ, doing it less, doing it less every year, putting on the mind of Christ more. We've all been there, and we've all fallen short, despite trying so hard. And God, God is happy with how much we try. But how do we purge this type of old leaven? How do we purge our annoying habits? Let's go back to Proverbs, actually. There's a couple of scriptures that we can look at here about purging our, our old habits, purging this old leaven. Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28. Let's pick it up in verse 13. He who covers his sins, and again, this is that Hebrew word shatah, this, these, how did he put it? The habitual sin from human frailty. So these these sins of habit. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We can't ignore them. We're in constant communication with God about them. Here he says, he, whoever, he who confesses them and forsakes them will have mercy. Just be upfront with God. Don't try to... to we, we all know we can't hide from God. We can't be anyone that we're just, we really aren't. We, we shouldn't hide from ourselves either. If we're in constant communication with God, if you know that there's a, a habit that you need to work on, that you need to be cognizant of, keep it in mind throughout the day. If you're in a situation where you know that habit might be there, maybe you have an anger problem, and you're, we know that you're coming up in, a, in some traffic jam, let's say. Work with God on that. God, help me through this. Help, help me to, to control my tongue. Help me to control my, my feelings. Be in communication with him about that. Don't ignore it. Don't cover, don't cover your sin from a, purpose of, from a perspective of ignoring it. Be with him on that. Recognize them. Be honest with God about them. That's, that's the difference between covering our sins and confessing them. You don't owe anybody else a confession other than God. But if you're in communication with God about it, bring God into the mix. Paul says, I thank God that through Christ I can be delivered from this body of flesh. We, see it, we saw that back in Romans 7 when he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm thankful to God through Jesus Christ. He's thankful that God, through Christ, can deliver him from this humanity. So let God help you deliver you through this, from this humanity. John, first epistle of John, 1 John says something similar. First John chapter one. We don't we don't hide from our habits. Let's if we're really about putting on the mind of Christ and and getting rid of the old leaven, let's be honest with ourselves. First John chapter one verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and he is not, his word is not in us. All he wants from us is confession. He just wants us to say, I need your help. I cannot do this alone. I don't want to do this. I don't want to succumb to my anger or succumb to whatever other bad habits we have. I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to be the child that you expect me to be. But if we say we haven't sinned, if we cover our sins, if we close our eyes and block our ears and I hear nothing, I see nothing, the old uh, Sergeant Schultz, I think, from Hogan's, Hogan's Heroes, we just block our mind and pretend it's not there, he, he cannot help us. You'll recall just referencing Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All God wants to hear from us isn't a desire to be better. John chapter 14, let's go back there briefly. John chapter 14. We're reminded of the tool of the Holy Spirit that we have within us. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit that the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Christ left us with the Holy Spirit as a Helper to teach us and to remind us all that he taught us. And in that includes helping us overcome our chata, our human, our habitual sins. We have the tools to continue in our quest for perfection. We have access to the Father's throne in prayer. We have our Savior as our intermediary. We have the Holy Spirit within us to guide us along the way. God's power, the power of God and Jesus Christ within us to make us better. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and look at not the little habits that we're trying to overcome, that we overcome every year and work probably more often than not, do them less this year than we did last year. But he specifies this other leaven. And it is this leaven, verse 8, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. And these Greek words are simply are very synonymous, and they simply mean evil desire, ill will, evil purposes, or plotting. These aren't habits. These aren't the human frailty. These aren't the the little things that we war within us. You recall Paul in describing that war, he said, I want to do right. Here these two words mean evil plotting, evil intent, ill will. That's not wanting to do what is right. That is wanting to do what is wrong. This is something we need to be wary of and represents the transgression and iniquity, the other two types of sin that Jan, Deacon Jan was talking about in his sermon last year. Let's go back to forward, actually. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go a little forward in this, this book. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And look a little bit at this leaven of malice and wickedness. 
Verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now it's not saying we are lusting. It's saying that we shouldn't lust. So in nowhere here is he saying you are lusting. In nowhere here should we be taking that we are lusting or that we have this evil intent within us. Because as, as followers of God who, who are trying, which we all are, we likely don't have this leaven of malice and wickedness within us. But just stay, stay with me here. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were. So again, notice the future here. That these are examples that we shouldn't lust. Don't become idolaters. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ages, the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. To followers of God, Christians who are truly plugged into the way, striving to do what is right, striving to put off the old man, striving to rid ourselves of the, the habits we fall into from time to time, these sins of malice and wickedness are rare. When we're plugged in, when we have the desire to follow God, these sins are rare, if ever, in your life that you come upon these. By definition, it takes an evil desire or an ill will to have this type of leaven in you. For most of us, we came from that, that type of will. We let that go. We, we got rid of that when we went into the baptismal tank. We let those attitudes go. And we've moved on to putting on the mind of Christ. We struggle with the frailty like Paul talks about in Romans 7. But Paul's warning to us there is don't think it can't happen to you. Don't think that it won't happen to you. If, if there is an opportunity, and we'll see a little bit about that when we go into an example here. But Paul's warning is all this was written for us. We look back on it. Because it could happen. Don't let it. Don't let it. Think, don't let. Don't think it couldn't happen to you. Don't think that we're above our minds having evil intent. Let's look at an example. We covered this example two weeks ago. Let's go back to Second Samuel chapter twelve. But I'd like to look at this example from another perspective. We covered this back on our the sermon on temptation when we noted David's actions in succumbing to temptation. But I'd like to look at it again from a different angle. That's 2 Samuel chapter 12. How could a man of God, a man after God's own heart, act with such malice of forethought? When we look at this, when we look at the background He had set it up. He had stayed home from the, the, the war. He was on his own. We covered that temptation part about noticing Bathsheba. What if, after sinning with Bathsheba, he simply confessed to God and said, I messed up again. 
you know how this bad habit has followed me around. I'd like to check out the girls. And I went too far. This time I let it take me too far. You know this habit I've got. And I'm really sorry. Please help me make it right and move on to overcome this bad habit of lusting after other women. What if he had said that? Just a bad habit. Just, just the Romans 7 struggle is all, he, is all he was in up to that point. The malice, the evil plotting, the leaven of malice and wickedness, so plain for us to see, was made when he made a bad situation worse by covering it up. Paul, when Proverbs talks about covering it up, when John talks about covering it up, is when he plotted to have Uriah killed. First he plotted to bring him home and maybe have it look like it was his baby. And then no one's the wiser. That didn't work, so he then continued the plotting to have Uriah killed. That's when the old habits, the old leaven, turned into this leaven of malice and wickedness, when it was evil plotting. And he actually plotted a man after God's own heart, after dropping the ball, and rather than confessing, was at a point in his life, probably one of the few points in his life, where he actually had evil intent. He plotted the murder of another man. So the reason why we're in chapter 12 is to note how this type of sin needs to be combated. Let's look at this story in chapter 12. The Lord, then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. So, so far, David is just entertaining the prophet Nathan. And he's listening to this story. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done that shall surely die. Sometimes God may need to send someone else to show us our sin and where we are. Because the intent now is no longer, I know what I want to do. I know what God needs me to do. There may come a time in our lives where we don't know what God wants us to do. Here David had lost complete sight. He hadn't lost sight of of sin. Immediately he recognized sin. And he said, that's wrong. What that guy did is wrong. He should die for that. What he lost sight of was his own intent. He lost sight of his own mind. He'd become so wrapped up in what what this was, he he couldn't see his, his desire. If we reach the point of malice, evil intentions, we have shut God out of the picture. But again, we still have hope. Because here, David recognized sin right away. He was, it's, it's instantaneous. He recognized that it was wrong immediately. Verse 6, And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. He recognized scriptures from the, from the law that recognized what, should be, what the method of repayment should be. Then Nathan said to David, 
You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into the keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if, there had, if that had been too little, I would have given you more. Why have you despised the command of the Lord to do evil in his sight? This wasn't a slip-up. This wasn't a human frailty. God said he did evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your house, and I will take your wives from before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And David's response, Wow, I have sinned against God. It took God sending someone else, completely separated from the situation, to show David, wake up, wake up. You're a man of God. Look at all these things that God, look at what he he explained to, to David there. All that God had given him. Because God recognized, and Nathan saw, that David had just simply lost sight. He, his mind wasn't where it should be, and he couldn't recognize the evil that, it was, that was in his mind. But when presented by someone else, when someone else came up to him and said, a trusted friend came and said, look at, look at what you're doing. Look at what you've done. David was, I have sinned against God. I can't, I can't believe I've done this. Look at what I have done. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. God can always forgive. There's nothing God cannot forgive. This is why the church community is so important. Between God and me, we can work out my little habits. I know what they are. I've got them written down. I work on them every year. I get a little bit better this year than last year. I hope. But we need to develop close relationships with each other so that if we ever come to the point where we shut God out and this level, this leaven of malice and wickedness starts to grow, we can help each other through. Someone can smack me up the side of the head and say, pay attention. Do you realize what you're doing? And hopefully we develop the relationships together that David trusted Nathan. He trusted Nathan and he said, wow, I can't, I can't believe what I've done. Luke chapter 12. Hopefully it never has to be used. Hopefully our, our intent and our will to follow God remains as true today as it ever will be. That we simply go through this life trying to overcome our little habits, trying to become a little bit better this year. But part of being together is watching out for each other and saying, I'm noticing something. Can you see it? And when we handle things like Nathan did, we'll be able to tell. It was pretty clear David had no clue because he didn't even, he didn't even see that Nathan was talking about him until Nathan said so. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people 
had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, his first, this message was first and foremost to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. We talked about how with the old leaven, these habitual sins, it requires us maintaining contact with God. It requires us not covering them up, but confessing them to God, keeping them in the the forefront of our minds so that you and God, we and God, are working on them together. Here, God can't rely on us to keep that in our forefront when we have this, this type of leaven. He can't rely on us if ever we get into that situation where we've lost contact with, with God to the point that David did. He relies on it being brought out into the open, which is what it took Nathan to do. Maybe not publicly like this, but maybe one-on-one with another friend. Because God cares about us so much, like he did David. He could he kept trying. And he wouldn't let David he wouldn't let David take himself down that course without presenting it to David so that David could see the choices he was making. For there's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. He'll bring it out into the open so that we have a chance to see ourselves for what we really are. Not to hurt us, but to guide us back to him. We can we won't read much from there, but just turn back briefly to Matthew 23, where some of this leaven of the Pharisees is broken down for us. The types of character that we need to be on guard for in each other and in ourselves. Where several times Christ says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. And then we see, and you can take time to do that on your own, the various levels of types of character and sins that constitute this leaven of the Pharisees or this leaven of malice and wickedness. The types of character to be on guard, guard for. So let's go back as we wind this down to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where we started. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because there is a way not to keep the feast, and there is a way to keep the feast. Your glory is not good. Verse 6 again. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. And we note, those who, are, those who truly are unleavened, have the old leaven within them. You notice that? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. Those who have their mind in tune with God have some old leaven that needs to be purged out. Those little habits that we know about that we need to keep working on. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Let, so therefore, let us keep the feast not with that those old habits, that old leaven, nor if you happen to find yourself in the situation 
nor with this leaven of malice and wickedness. But keep it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity, and again, there's, there's a whole message or two in the last half of that verse that we won't get time to go into too deeply. But sincerity speaks to the heart. Not a malice-filled heart, not an, an evil, ill-willed heart, but of sincerity and purity. And truth speaks to honest, being honest and forthright with God and following his way completely, all that God's truth represents. So work on putting aside our old habits and let's watch out for a change in our heart. This is what Paul is saying here. And keep the feast with a good heart, with a pure heart and with God's truth in mind. For a final scripture, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll pick it up in verse 17. This I say, Paul says, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. If you have learned Christ, if the if your if your will is in line with God's, that you want to be like him, that you're, you're like Paul in Romans 7, where he knows what he wants to do, we won't be like that. We can't be like that. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This life is about being made in the image of God, putting on the mind of Christ. And while this is a lifelong goal, it is highlighted for us during the spring Holy Day season. We need to stay busy readying ourselves for, for spring. As we see the snow disappear and turn into green, we, can, we ready ourselves for spring. The cleaning up of the leaven of our old habits, tidying ourselves up a little bit more, polishing ourselves a little bit, preparing ourselves for Christ's return, and staying on guard for the leaven of malice and evil desire, working daily with God in Christ, confessing our habits, keeping them in mind, so that when we're presented with an opportunity, he helps us make the right choice, using the valuable tools of the Holy Spirit and one another to become the new person God envisions us to be. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.